Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. As we come to look at that passage together, shall we um, just pray to God? Father, we do thank you for revealing yourself to us, for showing us the way of salvation through Christ. And Father, we pray that in this time now you would help us to understand more of that and you would teach us how we should live in this world so that you might be praised and glorified through us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as you hear those words, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, did you think, yes, praise God? I suspect that for many of us here, though, that's not the feeling that comes into our minds. The praise doesn't fill our horizons. There's something I've had to struggle with over the first few months of this year as I've realized that praise and joy doesn't describe me in my walk with Christ. And it fills my horizons, and I suspect it fills your horizons, even less when you're struggling with different things. You know, when our children don't do what we ask, we're not thinking, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or when our friends press us to join in behaviors that that are not Christian, that we don't want to do, we're not thinking, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we are persecuted at work for being Christians and given jobs which are just unfair, we're not thinking, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we're honest, our minds are, are filled with discomfort that we're unable to think of anything other than that. Or is it just me that feels that? No, blessings, uh, the blessings that we lack fill our minds and so that we're not filled with rejoicing and praise and joy. And yet that's who Peter is writing to, people who are like that, who have joy. You see it in verse 6? In this you greatly rejoice. Or at the end of verse 8, he says they're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. How good that must be. To be able to say praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and to really mean it. But you see, here's the really startling thing as we read these words. Peter wrote these words to persecuted and struggling Christians. He wrote this letter to Christians who were marginalized in society and despairing. Now we see that in references throughout this letter. Now these Christians face conflict with friends. Friends are asking, why not just party like the rest of us? They face persecutions at work. They're suffering with unbelieving spouses. And they're possibly even facing state persecution. And Peter writes to them to encourage them to continue as Christians, to stand firm in the face of that persecution, to continue standing in the grace of God. And as he does that, he says, praise God. Indeed, he's actually saying, you are praising God. Is that not quite startling for us as we are joyless, even when we have so much? Now, we don't rejoice despite the blessings that we have. Now, what is your faith like? 
Could you, could you say it's uh, full of a joy that is inexpressible? Something that, that bubbles over you, that you could just join with, in, with the, Peter, the Apostle Peter and say, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, tonight, I hope as we come to grips with this section of 1 Peter, we will see why we can be joyful, why we should be joyful. And we'll see that we can, be, we can praise God because he's given us new birth into a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. We can praise God because he's given us new birth into an eternal inheritance. And we can praise God even in suffering. And if we truly understand this section tonight, we will be moved to praise God. Moved to joy. If we take this section to heart, then we'll understand something of the Apostle's exclamation, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, firstly, praise God for new birth. You see it in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth. Peter praises God and he wants to keep our attention on God. He's holding your head and saying, look at God. Consider the God that I'm saying to praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth. You didn't deserve new birth, but God was merciful to you. And you were given new birth when you became a Christian. You weren't just uh, informed when you became a Christian. Uh, God didn't just kind of remodel you a little. He didn't merely just transform you. He's given you new birth, a completely new start, a new beginning. And we've been given new birth into two different things, two things which are, are linked, though. New birth into a living hope, a new birth into an inheritance. And you see it in verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Well, a living hope. You've been given new birth into a living hope and the way that Peter is using the word hope here is not how we often use hope. No, we generally use, say we hope for something when we are really describing what our wishes are. Uh, we wish something to happen. We want something to happen, but we have absolutely no expectation that it really will happen. No, you hope for dry weather on your wedding day. Unlikely. Uh, we hope Britain will win lots of uh, gold medals at the Olympics. Well, it's unlikely as well. We hope to have a summer. Well, it could be unlikely. No, we hope, we hope, we hope. But when we say that, we're not saying this is definitely going to happen. It's an uncertain thing. But the hope which we have been born into is not like that. The hope which we have been born into is a living hope. A hope which is steadfast and certain. The hope that we are born into is real and lasting it's not vague, it's not a, a vague wish that something good might happen in the future. The Christian hope is firm, it's assured, cast iron, guaranteed. And the passage calls it a living hope. A living hope. And the reason that we can have the certainty of the hope, the reason we can say it's guaranteed, it's living, is because of the resurrection. You see it in verse 3. 
He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead makes this hope certain. It makes this hope living. Jesus' resurrection makes it a living hope because Jesus is living. Jesus is alive now in heaven. And as he is alive, as he was raised from the dead, the hope that we have is not a dead hope, but a living hope. And to say that our hope comes through the resurrection doesn't mean that the cross is unimportant. Rather, the resurrection, it proves everything that the cross did was of worth, that it was true and real. The resurrection proves what Jesus said and what Jesus did. The resurrection shows that our hope is not pie in the sky when we die. The resurrection proves it is true. And so as Christians, we have a living hope. Now consider this, if Jesus remained dead, then we would have no hope. Now, if you remember the, the apostles, the, the disciples, after Jesus was crucified, they weren't full of hope at that time. They were despairing because everything which they thought would happen, everything that they thought Jesus would do, failed. He had been crucified. And what transformed their despair was the resurrection from the dead. That resurrection gave them new life into a living hope, into something bigger than they could ever have imagined before. And we too have been included into that living hope. We've been born again into a living hope. And then the resurrection becomes the principle which underlies the next thing that we've been born into. Praise God you have been born into a living hope and praise God that you've been born again into an eternal inheritance. Christian, you have an amazing inheritance waiting for you in heaven. You might have nothing coming to you from your family on this earth, no inheritance from them, but you've been born into a family which has an inheritance which is guaranteed. Even if you have an inheritance in this world, most are uncertain. Even if you've gone round your parents' house putting your names on different things, apparently that really worries your parents if you go round starting writing your names on the backs of things. Even if somebody tells you, I've left something for you in my will, you might find out it's that horrible painting that you've always despised. Now I remember my dad once inheriting um, from a, an aunt in Canada. I, used to, I remember the excitement as this huge crate came home onto the doorstep and we, we got the, the crowbar to open the crate and found stamps inside. It was a bit of a disappointment. But you see, it's not a great inheritance. We, we had great hopes for that inheritance and it failed. But the inheritance which we have from God is eternal. It's magnificent. It's wonderful. Read about it in verse 4 with me. Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. An inheritance that can never perish. It's imperishable. Free from death and decay. It doesn't perish like the ham in your fridge. It doesn't go off. It doesn't die. The resurrection from Jesus from the dead guarantees it for us. It cannot spoil. And when it says that, it speaks of kind of a moral purity. 
Nothing will pollute the cleanness of this resurrection. It will be unstained by evil and things which destroy it. Nothing can make it dirty. And it won't fade. It's not going to be affected by the ravages of time. It will not wear out as time progresses. It will never fade. It will be as pristine when we get it as it ever was. And it will always be like that. And we've been born again into this inheritance by God's grace. We're born into a new family with new family rights, with a new family inheritance. Not because you deserve it, but because of great mercy, God's great mercy. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth into an eternal inheritance. An inheritance that's full and perfect and wonderful, that will never be taken away from you. And again, remember that is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We've got a stunning inheritance, a stunning salvation from our God. And there's one person who said it's an inheritance which is compounded of immortality, purity, and beauty. And as if to ram the point home about the eternal nature of this inheritance, let's see how Peter goes on in verse 4. So into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Praise God you've been born into an eternal inheritance kept for you in heaven. God himself is keeping it for you. It's secure, true. And surely that's worth praising our great God for. God is keeping your inheritance Now, for those of us here tonight who know Christ, who are Christ's ones, who have faith in Christ, God is keeping your inheritance, an inheritance that will last forever. God's keeping it for you. No banking crash will affect it. No natural disaster can uh, affect it. It is yours, kept by God for you. But it only gets better. And Peter says, understand this a bit more. Not only is this inheritance kept for you, not only is it safe and secure, but God is keeping you for it. No, an inheritance is kept for you, and you kept for the inheritance. Look down at verses 4 and 5 again. He has given his new birth into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You are being kept. You're being shielded by God's power. God is keeping you. He will bring you to the inheritance. What a wonderful God we have who will bring us to the inheritance he's keeping for us. They're bringing us through a hostile world to the place where that inheritance will be revealed. Almost like the soldier with the, uh, the medical worker taking them through hostile ground till they get to the safety of camp. God is bringing us through, shielding us until we get to the inheritance. And God, and God says that he will do it through faith. Look again at verse 5. 
You who through faith are shielded by God's power. You're being shielded by God's, by your faith. No, faith is the mark of the Christian. Uh, one who trusts in God and all God says he is like. Who trusts in the promises of God. Now God shows us what, he li- what he's like. He shows us what he's done and he keeps on saying to us, trust me. Trust me. Keep trusting me. Trust me until I bring you to me. Until the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time comes. You see, we do not have all of our salvation now. We have new birth. We have sins forgiven. We have life in God. But we don't have the fullness of that salvation. We don't have the fullness of the inheritance which has been kept for us. But we will have it. It's not as if more needs to be done for the salvation. It's ready. It's ready, ready to be revealed when Christ returns. And when Christ returns, we will know fully that for which we have been kept. We will know fully that inheritance. Praise God that you have been born again. You see what Peter says at the beginning of verse 6? In this you greatly rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. They rejoiced in this salvation, in the living hope, in the new birth. When everything in the world was against them, they still had a living hope. They still had an eternal inheritance. And the resurrection still proved that it was true. They were being kept by God. You know, praise God, because we too have been born again. We too have a living hope. We too have an eternal inheritance. We too are being kept by God. And as we come to communion tonight, it's what we're going to remember. Christ has done it for us. We will remember his death and his resurrection and proclaim it until he comes. We remind ourselves of salvation to strengthen our faith in him. So praise God, he has given you new birth. But Peter, as he writes to these struggling Christians, to these Christians who are being persecuted, doesn't just say, just lift your minds above it and forget what's happening to you. He's not trying to just kind of raise their minds away from it and pretend their suffering is not actually happening. No, he's saying, praise God, even when times are tough. Praise God, even in suffering. Now, Peter says that they rejoice in the new birth, even though they are suffering. We see it in verse 6 again. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. You see, Peter's not saying forget what's happening to you. No, they're really suffering trials and they were really difficult. They were really hard. He doesn't diminish the reality. But he starts to help them see that suffering as a Christian doesn't mean that something's gone wrong. There's nothing in the whole New Testament which leads us to think that Christians shouldn't suffer. 
Indeed, many times in the New Testament we see the theme is shown and spoken about. And the model comes from the Lord Jesus himself. The verse 11 of, of the, if you read on in the passage, speaks of the sufferings of Christ. And in chapter 2 he says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Now, as per people persecuted Christ, so they will persecute those who hold his name. The sufferings of Christ is the model that explains the experience of Christians who suffer for their faith. And Peter helps them to understand how the gospel helps them to face such situations and live under suffering. And as Ben read at the beginning, Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now that might come as a great shock to some people here. If you've been led to think, no, that that we've been taught God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, yes, he does love you. Yes, he does have a plan for your life. But that might mean that you suffer. In fact, it probably means that you will suffer. Well, why can they rejoice? Well, I think there's two reasons that Peter gives here. In verse 6, you see what he says there. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, for a little while you had to suffer, for a short time. The sufferings which you face or which you will face are for a short time. A short time in contrast to the eternal inheritance that you have. That inheritance which is kept for you. You see, we live with the prospect of eternity in front of us. With that brilliant inheritance. Put your hope in the living hope which God has given us. In the inheritance. And you can face the afflictions in a different way. Yet Peter says much more. Secondly, I think what he's saying is that these sufferings are for the benefit of your faith. And you see it in verse 7. These, that is these sufferings, have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honor when Christ is revealed. The sufferings come so that your faith might be proved genuine. So that the genuineness of your faith might be seen. So that your faith might become stronger. So your faith might be seen for what it really is. So that things which hold it back and diminish it might be stripped away so that pure faith is left. And your faith is more valuable than gold, even gold that is refined And the suffering can help your faith, refine your faith. Listen to these words from Jonathan Edwards. He says, Sufferings not only manifest faith as true, but also tend to refine it and deliver it from that which is false, which encumber and impede it. So true faith, being tried as gold, is tried in the fire and becomes more precious. You see, sufferings come and it helps us to be more convinced of the gospel. More convinced that the things of this world 
cannot compare to the eternal significance of our hope, of our inheritance. When every earthly thing is stripped away, when every earthly hope is stripped away, then we find that God is our only hope. And it is a living hope. And it is a hope which has an eternal inheritance. When we lose everything, God becomes bigger and our trust is only to be found in him. When we despair even of life, the hope of the gospel has to be all for us. You see, trials come and they have the result of strengthening our faith, our trust in God alone. And genuine faith that God has given to us will result in praise and glory and honor when Christ returns. You see it in verse 7? These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. I don't think it's entirely clear who's, who gets the praise, the glory, and the honor. It could be that God receives the praise and the glory and honor, that he has kept us through our faith for the inheritance which he's keeping for us. Or it could be that we receive praise and glory and honor They were told in chapter 5 that when Christ appeared, that we will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. But when we get to heaven, kept by God's power, and receive our inheritance, then there will be praise and glory and honor. No wonder that Peter can say that they are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The salvation that is reserved in heaven is coming to us now as we are born again into that living hope, into an eternal inheritance. And we've received it all through the action of God for us. That's what we celebrate tonight as we join in communion, as we strengthen our faith through that physical preaching of Christ to us. That we see Christ died for our sins, that was resurrected for our life, that we proclaim what he has done for us through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, as we proclaim it until he comes. We praise God for the gospel. We've been born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an eternal inheritance that is kept for you and you for it. And you can rejoice in it through sufferings. Sufferings which increase our faith and our grasp of it. You can live in a world of suffering because of it. Will you pray with me now? Father God, you have done so much for us. And that you are doing so much for us now and you will do so much for us in the future. And Father, we do want to say uh, praise be to your name. Father, help us to understand and grasp this salvation which you have won for us. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to be joyful in all circumstances. To rejoice in you and in your gospel. And Father, we pray that that would sustain us and help us as we face difficulties and sufferings in this world. And Father, we pray it all through Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
Well, we're going to stand and sing again now um, a, a hymn which really paraphrases uh, these verses in 1 Peter. Blessed be the everlasting God, the Father of our Lord. His boundless mercy now be praised, his majesty adore. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>